You're listening to Midi Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week we're reading the latest chapter of The Bride of the Tomb by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller. Chapter 21 Mr. Shelton, the famous detective, was slowly but surely gaining ground in his mysterious and interesting case. For a long time it had puzzled him and baffled his investigations, but having at last obtained a single clue, he began to push on slowly to be sure, but certainly to eventual success. He had discovered, after patient and almost incredible labors, that Dr. Pratt was the man who had bribed the sexton and obtained the key of the Lawrence Vault the night of Lily's interment there. He had also learned that Harold Colville wore the missing half of the broken locket found in Mr. Lawrence's hall the night on which the specter of the banker's daughter had appeared to the assembled family. As yet, he had not thought of linking these separate facts together, but the day was not far away when he would do so. He adopted quite a bold method of obtaining the desired knowledge regarding Mr. Colville. He called upon that gentleman attired in a very plain business suit, and still further disguised by a rather long wig of reddish hair, set off by beard and eyebrows of the same ruddy hue. He sent up a card to the gentleman of pleasure, simply engraved, J. Stiles. After some delay, he was ushered into Mr. Colville's parlor. That gentleman, attired in the extreme of fashion, merely nodded at his visitor's entrance. He did not think it necessary to rise for such a plain-looking personage. "'I have not the honor of knowing you, sir,' said he, stiffly. "'J. Stiles, underclerk to the bankers, Lawrence and Company,' explained the visitor briskly. "'Indeed,' said Mr. Colville, affecting nonchalance. But he started violently, and the keen eyes of J. Stiles saw that he turned a trifle paler. You have met with a loss, I see, said the underclerk, abruptly bending forward and taking hold of the broken locket that dangled among the charms of the gentleman's watch chain. A personal affair that does not concern strangers, answered Mr. Colville haughtily as he drew back. I beg your pardon. It is the very business on which I called, replied the visitor, imperturbably. As he spoke, he slipped his fingers into his breast pocket, producing the missing half of the locket, and deftly fitted it to the broken part that dangled from the chain. I have the honor to return this to you, sir, said he, slipping the jewel into Mr. Colville's hand. The gentleman's fingers closed over it mechanically. Why, what the devil? Where did you find it? asked he, thrown off his guard by the unconcerned and business air of the underclerk. I did not find it at all, answered J. Stiles calmly. I was commissioned to return it to you by Mr. Lawrence. It was found in the hallway of his residence on the evening of the 21st instant. Mr. Colville started as if a bullet had struck him. He grew deathly white even to the lips, and stared at the visitor a moment in silence. At length he recovered himself with a powerful effort, and asked curtly, "'Well, why did Lawrence think of sending it to me? I did not lose it there. Lawrence is a friend of mine, certainly, but I have not called on him for several months. He recognized it as your property, and supposed that you might have called on the ladies that day in his absence,' returned the visitor, fabricating this lie with barefaced effrontery. "'Yes, that seemed plausible,' answered Colville, with evident relief." "'I suppose now that you have no idea where you actually lost it?' inquired the clerk respectfully. "'Not the slightest. Indeed, it was but yesterday that I discovered the loss. That must have been several days afterwards if, as you said, it was found on the 21st,' replied Colville, more affably than he had yet spoken. "'You will return my thanks to Mr. Lawrence for its prompt return. It appears strange that it should be found in the hallway of a house which you have not entered for months, does it not, sir?' remarked the clerk with amusing air. "'Exceedingly strange,' returned Colville, uneasily. But perhaps it had been found on the street by some person who might have lost it in Mr. Lawrence's hall that day. That is the only explanation of the mystery I can think of, for I assure you I have not been to the house for months, not since long before the tragic death of his daughter, said he, growing pale as the words left his lips. 
By the way, a most startling event occurred at the home of Mr. Lawrence the same night on which your locket was found, said the clerk, who seemed in no haste to leave. Your mention of Miss Lily recalls it to my mind. Indeed, and what was that? inquired Colville, with an affectation of carelessness. Why, the spirit of the deceased young lady actually appeared to the family who were all assembled in the drawing-room in company with the gentleman to whom she was to have been married, replied the visitor in a voice of awe. Can it be possible? inquired Mr. Colville in a tone of surprise and interest. In what manner did the apparition appear? She appeared in the doorway, sir, with her arms extended towards her lover. She was heard to utter her father's name twice, then the whole illusion faded out in the thick darkness. Dear me, how very interesting, said Colville, shifting uneasily on his chair as though it were set round with thorns. I have heard of such things, but never witnessed any manifestations myself. Miss Lawrence was a charming girl. A pity she should have destroyed herself. Yes, sir, a most lamentable affair. Well, I must be going, said J. Stiles, rising. You will let me offer you a reward for your trouble in returning my property, inquired Mr. Colville. Oh, no, I thank you, sir. But perhaps the housemaid who found it would be glad of a trifle, sir. Mr. Colville placed a bill in his hand, and the pair separated courteously, the fine gentleman returning to his seat in a tremor of anxiety and trepidation, while the detective took himself to the office of Mr. Lawrence, and after revealing his identity, for his disguise completely deceived that gentleman, he proceeded to detail the interview with Mr. Colville and its result as we have already described it. I took the liberty of borrowing the name of one of your underclerks, said he. I suppose there is no harm done. None at all, I should say, returned the banker with a smile. And here is the reward the gentleman gave me for the housemaid who found the locket, continued the detective, producing the money. Ah, he was generous, commented the banker, tucking the five-dollar bill into his vest pocket. Well, and what do you make of all this, Shelton? Much, if I could guess at the meaning of it, returned the detective, frankly. At present I am all at sea, but from this day forward until I get at the truth, Colville will be a shadowed man. I shall be on his track like a bloodhound. His agitation and alarm at learning where his locket had been found meant much, and his lying assertion that he had not been at your house that night meant more. I assure you that Harold Colville was in your house that night and with no good purpose. I will yet give you proofs of my assertion. You have done well so far, said Mr. Lawrence approvingly. I believe you will succeed in ferreting out that mystery and I will try and bide the time patiently. And now, about the man who had the key of my vault the night of my daughter's interment, have you tracked him yet? I have, answered Mr. Shelton triumphantly. You have, cried the banker eagerly. His name? You remember the physician who was called in to examine your daughter's body the morning she was found dead, the same man who testified at the inquest? The man is one Dr. Pratt, a physician of fair repute in this city and of some skill in his profession. A physician, Shelton? My God! then poor Lily's body was stolen for purposes of dissection. I do not think so. They would not have run so great a risk to gain so little. No, Mr. Lawrence, I still firmly believe that it was done for the sake of a large ransom. Then why do the thieves not return the body, since I have long ago offered a ransom for it and no questions asked? said the banker, impatiently. Perhaps you have not offered as much as they expected, answered Shelton. Would you advise me to increase the amount? I would willingly double and treble it if necessary, said Mr. Lawrence earnestly. Do not do so at present, sir. I hope that we shall succeed in finding the body and punishing the knaves for their unholy sacrilege. I am loath to reward their treachery and suffer them to go scot-free, answered Shelton earnestly. Well, you know best, Shelton. I will wait yet a little longer then. But, oh heavens, this suspense is very dreadful. I feel myself growing old before my time with the pressure of my troubles, said Mr. Lawrence, passing his hand wearily through his fast-whitening hair. Have patience yet a little longer. Indeed, Mr. Lawrence, I feel deeply for your distress and will do all I can to alleviate it, said the detective in a tone of respectful sympathy. 
Thank you, Shelton. I believe that you will, said the banker, gratefully. And now, about this rascally physician. You were very clever in finding him out. How did you manage it? It would weary you if I went into details, Mr. Lawrence. I arrived at my knowledge after much time and labor. But I will briefly explain that I furnished the old sexton who helped on this trouble a deputy in his business, and disguising the old fellow thoroughly, I took him about with me night and day until he recognized his man and pointed him out to me. It seems incredible that a man with a good profession and a fair repute should be found engaging in such a nefarious scheme, said Mr. Lawrence in amazement. Mr. Shelton smiled knowingly. My dear sir, he said, there is nothing incredible, nor even uncommon about it. My experience in the detective line has made me familiar with a hundred such cases. Men steeped in every iniquity are found concealed under the guise of respectable professions or genteel business. Wolves in lambs' clothing, you know. It is shocking to think of, said the banker. Well, can anything be done with this Pratt? Should he not be arrested at once on the charge of bribery, and thereby lose the chance of tracking him to the hiding place where he has the body concealed, said Mr. Shelton? Oh, no, Mr. Lawrence, we will not molest him yet. I have my eye upon him. Like Mr. Colville, he is a shadowed man. I have a colleague in this business, and we each have our marked man to watch. Dr. Pratt's profession takes him abroad so much and into so many houses that it will be difficult to track him. But depend on it, we shall run him to earth at last. I truly hope so. Your recent discoveries have put new heart into me, Shelton. May God prosper you in your undertaking, said the banker, supplementing this aspiration with a very large roll of bank bills, which he slipped into the detective's hand. Thank you, sir, smiled Shelton. That material way you have of supplementing a prayer is not a bad thought. I may count upon your silence about what I have disclosed, may I? Mr. Lawrence placed his finger on his lips with a nod and a smile. All right, I'll rely upon you, said the disguised detective, and with a brief good day, sir, he went buoyantly away on the secret mission that meant detection and ruin to Messrs. Pratt and Colville. The banker returned to his counting room with renewed hope and vigor. The impenetrable darkness that had hovered over Lily's disappearance so long seemed to be lifting at last, and a gleam of light shone through the little rift in the clouds. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damien Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chains Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.